you're listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Well, here we are in a very different space from what we are accustomed to, a space that we will call home for the next three months while the repair and renovation work is done at All Saints. Now, if you've never been in this church before, you might have been a bit surprised to discover that a building that looks so traditional from the outside is really rather contemporary on the inside. This building was constructed in 1903, making it some 23 years older than All Saints, but it was completely gutted by a fire in 1974 and then rebuilt in this current configuration and reopened in 1976. Now, alongside of that exterior stone and the general feel of the outside, there are a few traditional touchstones here, of course, found in the stained glass and the pipe organ, But this kind of rounded configuration of padded pews gives it a far more modern sort of ethos. And if you look up, that sort of cedar ceiling certainly would never have been in a church building built in 1903. But having been welcomed very, very warmly by Elam Chapel, here we are. Perhaps because they were welcomed by First Presbyterian Church and then by Broadway First Baptist during their year of displacement. It's in the DNA of the Elam Chapel congregation to extend hospitality to a displaced congregation. So if we're going to call this place home for these months, I think it might be significant for me to tell you a little bit about the history of this congregation. In 1910, two active members of what was then Westminster Presbyterian Church, now Westminster United, set out on a mission into the expanding west end of Winnipeg. Concerned that the area had little church presence and certainly nothing by way of a Sunday school, they established the Ellis Avenue Mission at the corner of Ellis and Beverly. This was done with the blessing of Westminster Presbyterian Church. It was a lay-led urban mission to a neighborhood not really touched yet by any of the downtown churches. The plan was to offer Sunday school in the afternoon and then a service of word and music in the evening. But within three years, they had outgrown their small mission building and had begun to recognize the need to add a morning service as well. So in 1913, the, the building that is now the West End Cultural Center was purchased, and the growing congregation adopted the new name of Elam Chapel. Name comes from the book of Exodus, where Elam was an oasis or a place of refreshment in the desert where the escaped Hebrew slaves camped at an early stage of their wilderness sojourn. 
This church, they believed, would be a place of spiritual refreshment to any who would come, regardless of denomination or religious background. In fact, even though they had a morning service, they continued with their evening service specifically to make it possible for folks from other churches to attend Elam as their second church home. Now, isn't that an interesting point of convergence for us? We have served as a second church home to many, many people over the years, including committed leaders from other congregations and denominations. We do, in our own way, provide a place of rest for folks who can be so busy leading or teaching or serving in their morning church that they sometimes get home at lunch and realize they hadn't really stopped to pray. And so, to St. Ben's they come in the evening. But the convergence goes even deeper, and in the most interesting of ways. The two men who set out on this mission from Westminster Presbyterian to plant this little Ellis Avenue mission, these two men were John Bellingham and Sidney Smith. And Sidney Smith is my great-grandfather. I would be remiss, too, if I didn't note that Mrs. Bellingham and my great-grandmother Emily Smith were key, absolutely crucial in the establishment of the church as they spearheaded the work with the neighborhood children walking the streets around Ellis Avenue to invite local kids to come out to Sunday school and other events. Well, in time, Elam Chapel had outgrown their second building on Ellis Avenue, and so when this place came onto the market, it was purchased. Now, this had been since Stephen's Presbyterian Church, and when the United Church of Canada was formed in the mid-twenties, St. Stephen's Presbyterian joined with Broadway Methodist to form St. Stephen's Broadway United Church, located at the corner of Broadway and Kennedy. In 1968, that church, too, suffered a devastating fire and was rebuilt in the very modernist form that still stands at that corner, right by the legislature grounds. Now, my great-grandfather, who I never met, he died in 1947, he came out of a very different social world than mine. And his theological concerns reflected that specific social and cultural context. I've read a stack of his sermons And again and again, it is the First World War, the rise of Bolshevism, the popularity of spiritualism, the seances and mediums and the like that were very fashionable in Winnipeg at the time, as well as what he called the modernist tendencies in theology and the church. It's those things that surface as his concerns. He was an almost wildly popular lay preacher and speaker. He could fill the Walker Theater, now the Burton Cummings. He could fill it for his lectures on the challenges of the times. 
His speaking tours, preaching tours took him across Western Canada and into the United States as far south as Texas. And all the while, he maintained a very successful presence in the grain industry in Winnipeg. He happily identified himself as a fundamentalist. Though that word meant something quite different at the time, he was part of a movement shaped by a set of 90 essays published between 1910 and 1915 under the title, The Fundamentals, A Testimony to the Truth. These were shaped by a theological movement that had emerged from Princeton Theological Seminary. What's more, in the words of the church historian Bruce Heinmarsh, my great-grandfather was, quote, not a typical or uncontroversial fundamentalist, which makes him all the more interesting. Judging from everything I've read and heard about the man, I'm quite sure I'd have really liked him. Something my mother assures me would be the case, and if you can't trust your mom on such things, who can you trust? <laughs> but back for a minute to these stained glass windows. The one that immediately catches your attention when you come in, of course, is that large resurrection window, which also strongly hints already at the ascension of Christ. The base are Roman soldiers overcome by Jesus rising, which is a detail recounted only by Matthew in his gospel. The suggestion made by their presence is that even the mighty Roman Empire is nothing compared to this rising Christ, that if Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. But it's the two flanking windows that really catch me. To the right is Mary Magdalene, who in all four gospel accounts witnessed the empty tomb and was told to take word of it to the disciples. The apostle to the apostles is how Mary Magdalene has traditionally been described. A woman of little or no social status, standing, entrusted with the most important of all messages. And then to the left is the Apostle Thomas, who featured so prominently in this evening's Gospel reading, Thomas the Doubter, who could not bear to believe unless he had proof, proof that he could see and touch. And Thomas the one who is not rejected for his doubt, but rather whose doubts are met, accepted, answered. As I've noted in sermons in past years, one of the most notable things about Thomas is that while he couldn't risk believing without proof, couldn't bear the thought of having his hopes dashed and his heart broken again, he still kept company with the other disciples. A week later, John says, a week later, Jesus' disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them, still with them. He could easily have left and gone back home to Galilee, but no, 
it would seem that the others could carry belief for him over those days, and that Thomas could at least trust that. And so, here we are, and here we will be for the next 12 weeks, under the colored light of those windows, and accompanied by Mary Magdalene and St. Thomas the Doubter, reminded that sometimes the most important words come from the people society has decided are the least likely to carry them, and assured that our doubts and our questions and our searchings are welcome here. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.